0: Welcome to Slaking Thirst, a podcast that's all about bringing the thirst deep within our hearts for love and communion to the heart of Christ, a divine heart, who is seeking our love and communion in return. The hope is that the two thirsts would meet and both thirsts would be slaked. Well, good evening, everyone. It's good to be back with all of you. Those of you who weren't here last night have no fear. As I said, each night can stand alone. However, there is a momentum that builds, so hopefully the people who came back can carry you right along with their momentum. If you're sitting in the center nave, you can tell you got this blue screen going on. All right, Uh, so we just wanted to see how you handle that tonight, okay? So (laughs) we were worried you weren't aware of your heart, so hopefully you're a little frustrated and thinking, should I go to another nave? Uh, They're going to work on it in just a second, so don't worry about that. What I want to begin with tonight is simply this. It's a Latin phrase called Capox Dei. I know you came here and thought, I can't wait to hear Latin, all right? Good. "Capax Dei. It means capable of God. See, the early church didn't have all the neat little definitions we have now for what it means to be human. So they had to come up with their own. An image of God is the most famous one, but right behind that is Capox Dei. It means you're capable of God. Why does this matter? Because tonight, at the very beginning, I want to go right deep within your belief system and remove one thing that most people believe and it short-circuits the whole transformational healing journey. Well, not me, but maybe for others. That belief. Oh, they hear God. They talk to God. I don't get that. So what do I do? I just stick with my prayer books I do the rosary and the mass, and that's it. Now, mind you, those are very powerful. If they're prayed with, from, and for the heart. Otherwise, they're a way of distracting us from the difficult journey. See, you're dei. If you're human and not like a giraffe or a dog or a cat or a mouse, you're capable of relationship with God. Now, you might not have been taught how You might have so much pain and hurt in your heart and story that the idea of becoming vulnerable enough to actually experience him is so scary and frustrating that you don't actually want to go there. But nonetheless, you are Kapox Dei. You're capable of relationship. You're capable of encountering. And above all, you are very much called to experience the transforming, healing love of Jesus. And so right at the outset tonight, our night is about the healing journey towards God. And I want you to raise your hand if you've never felt pain in your heart before. Great. Now raise your hand if you think people in the pews are perfect at handling your pain. Now raise your hand if you think all priests are wonderfully equipped to make you feel loved and cherished at every moment. (laughs) One guy raised his hand. I think he was drinking before he came tonight. (laughs) (laughs) So if not the church, then where? If we can't come to the place where we profess God is merciful, and we know we can't even handle each other with tenderness and mercy, where are we going to go? This is why a church of mercy is the church that says, I'm hurting, and I know you are too. So let's try our hardest not to hurt each other anymore. Let's try to learn how to make the journey together So that as we begin to grow and heal, we'll know how to pour that into each other's lives. And guess what? Within the 8 billion people in the world, there'll be a small remnant. And this remnant will be the new Israel, rising up. And what we will rise up to are not power, knowledge, and impressiveness, but we will be a group that knows how to be kind. Knows that being human is really hard. And we'll know how to journey with people because we know how hard the journey is. So my only prayer for tonight is that you would begin to believe in the healing power for you and equip you with the way to begin this journey. I've done several parish missions as I said before. I've never given this talk tonight to the length that I am. I've given little bits and pieces at some seminaries before, but never to this breath. So we're on a journey together, quite literally, tonight. Right? And what I want to talk about first is recapping for, from yesterday. Remember, I had over here 14-year-old Ryan Mann going to homecoming in Wadsworth, and I had all these desires and dreams, and I said, what does that have to do with Jesus? Right? And we said we normally run into morals or we just try to live two different lives but what we discover is that the desires of the heart and Jesus are meant to become one we're meant to bring those to him because he has a plan for our fulfillment so we need to encounter Jesus but one of the things they said remember in the quote yesterday from that guy Monsignor Albacete the guy who wore the powder sugar on his shirt and told John Paul II he slept just fine that guy He said, so many of us haven't thought through or haven't journeyed deeply enough into our humanity to know what we even need, to know whether or not Jesus is actually of value to us. I'll say it again. Many of us haven't made the difficult journey to even feel the needs of our heart to know whether or not Jesus will fulfill them. There's many people here that what we're doing, no matter how old you are, you're still pleasing mom and dad of when you were five because they told you, say your prayers before you go to bed. By the way, that's not a bad thing. (laughs) But if you think that's enough, there's so much more beauty waiting for you. There's also so much more glory. There's also so much more of the cross. (laughs) But there's so much waiting for you. And that's what we want to discover tonight. The second thing we talked about yesterday, right, was the idea that if there's an ankle pain that doesn't go away, it's a good indicator that your ankle needs a physician. Right? The pain isn't bad. It's actually good at saying, hey, would you pay attention and take care of me? Similarly, if there are encounters experiences and memories from your past that don't go away it's like your heart saying hi would you pay attention to me and not keep calling me bad awful i don't understand get away there's a part of us saying hey i i, I actually want to speak your heart is always good not infallible but good and so if there are habitual sins that, don't, that never seem to leave you, no matter how much you go, you could record your confession from last month, pray it next month, and it's the same confession. These sins never go away. It's a good indicator that there's a depth that you and I haven't reached yet. Or if there's memories that are bothering us from our lives, and it doesn't seem to go away, chances are there's a place in us. We haven't yet received the love of Jesus there. And our hearts know this. And so they're like, hey, hey, me, please. Like a little kid that says, mom, 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 mom. Over and over again until you're like, what? And it's like, hi. (laughs) That's us. That's us. Another thing is we had a quote from the catechism about the heart. And you'll remember in this quote it says, the heart is the place of encounter. And I talked about for the last hundred years in the church, we have had more scripture being read by everyone, more church programs teaching the faith, more sacraments celebrated than perhaps any other time in church history. And yet we also have more people saying they don't know Jesus. What's going on? Well, first off, it's because it's not magic. But the main reason is because the place of encounter is my heart and yours. And it's really hard to be vulnerable. And vulnerability is the one requisite in order to encounter Jesus. That's why we don't like our hearts. Because when, like I said yesterday, that girl said no to going to homecoming with you in high school, where it hurt, that was your heart. When your mom or dad died way too young and you're like, this sucks. That's your heart. Also, when you worked very hard to get the promotion, you got it one day and you felt wildly alive, that's your heart. When you're listening to your favorite song, hopefully you did that last night, that was your homework assignment, go back to your childhood favorite song, perhaps you're listening to your song and your heart's coming alive, Heart. That place within us is meant to be brought into church so that the scriptures and the sacrament can nourish it and heal it and orient it so that our hearts actually seek God. But once again, our hearts stay over here and we live over here. One of the important quotes in that catechism from yesterday that I didn't highlight yesterday because I knew I was going to talk about it today is that the Spirit of God alone can fully know your heart. This means many of you, and beautifully so, have sought out counselors or therapists, and great, that's a really good thing. The Catholic Church approaches, great, good counselors are gifts, wonderful. But they won't get you to the depth of your heart. Why? Well, the Catechism tells us the deepest parts of our heart are only accessible to the Holy Spirit. And so in order to get in, we must go with Him. We can never go in without Him. I'll say it one more time because this might be the most important thing to save you pain. Never go in without Him. He is the guiding light on the journey. And if we go in without Him, We're going to get very scared, confused, and we're going to call bad what God calls very good, namely our hearts. And like the parable of the weeds and the wheat, we're going to start pulling things out because we think it's bad, and one day we're going to realize what we were pulling out was wheat, not weeds. That's why in that parable, Jesus says, let the Lord of the harvest do the pulling out. So we need to join him in his mission. Father Pat, are we up and running yet? Oh yeah. oh yeah. Go ahead and skip to the third slide then. That's my buddy, Monsignor Albacete. Skip by him. What, the catechism book? No, the beautiful one you made with that guy in the red. It's a woman. The next one. Okay, yeah, nice. Say, ooh. Ooh. Say, ah. Yeah, Father Pat put that together. Nice, all right, good. This is the human heart caught by by one of the prophets of Israel before Jesus enters the world. This is what he says. More tortuous than all else is the human heart. Beyond remedy, who can understand it? I don't know about you, but this is like, remember yesterday I talked about middle school? I was listening to that band, Everclear. By the way, they're kind of a vulgar band, but I was in middle school. What are you going to do with me, okay? So, and there's that song, Santa Monica, and it's like, ban it, ban it, ban it. It's a, like an electric guitar, and it's all angsty like every middle schooler in the world, right? And like, the world's against you, yet you're going to be something big one day, and it's all up to you, and you're going to do it on your own. That's more torturous than all else. I, didn't, I couldn't understand my heart, but I did know music was getting me in touch with it. I didn't understand my heart, but I did know movies like Rocky, Rambo, Delta Force, all of these were getting me in touch with my heart because when I watched them, I came alive. Right? These movies, these songs, this art form, these are forms of art, put me in touch with a part of my heart that I had no idea had any sort of meaning because I put it over here and then in my mind I conceived of Jesus and the church over here. Every human heart in the world is torturous, is miserable, is scary. Aren't we scared? Isn't the very idea of me talking about the heart to you like, is he going to make a share at some point? (laughs) Like it's just uncomfortable. Vulnerability is the very thing we fear. There are men, even in here tonight, who would take a gun and go and fight for Ukraine heroically way before they'd want to share their hearts. Because that journey gets to the core of who we are. By the way, I'm one of them. (laughs) And I have to be up front. That is the human condition Our hearts are scary. It's like going into East Cleveland at night. (laughs) Right? You just hope you don't have to be at the red light for too long. Right? There's potholes. There's, you know, News Channel 5 has a satellite campus there ready for every night, whatever they're going to report on. (laughs) You just don't know what's going to happen and it's like, ah, I got to get out of here fast. If you don't know what I mean... Tell me about the time in your childhood where you felt alone or powerless. Tell me about the time you lost a job. Tell me about that time where you found out about your, you, someone else in your life found out about an addiction you have. Tell me about the time when that family member died and you felt nothing but anger for so long, but you had to pretend you were fine. Tell me about that time where God felt so distant, yet people needed you to be all churchy, because that's the role you play in your family. Tell me about the time when your spouse accused you of something that you didn't do but it was very scary because you had to sleep in separate bedrooms for a while. It's torturous. It's scary. Until this happens. Jesus. Jesus comes and he wants to give us a context to receive him. He wants us to understand what he wants to do in our lives. And so he goes into the synagogue and they hand him the scroll of to Isaiah the prophet. And he scrolls through it and finds this passage. Isaiah 61.1 And it says, The Lord has anointed me to proclaim a year of favor, to proclaim sight to the blind, Liberty to the captives. He has sent me to heal the broken hearted. So Jesus is saying, that's my job description. That's what I want to do for you. I want to know where it hurts. I want you to let me in so that with, through, and in great intimacy with Jesus, we can experience the transformation of our hearts. And the places in your life where you felt so lonely, misunderstood, which can be very deep friendships, very deep relationships and family, you can feel wildly under, misunderstood, misunderstood, In those places, the loneliness would be transformed to a place of being loved. And so in order to get deep in our hearts, we have to go with Him. And we have to go with Him, as I say in this, join Jesus in His saving mission, His words and His way. You know what you and I do? Do you remember that game at like a Chuck E. Cheese or arcades called Whack a Mole? Right? It's like six holes and like these little things pop up, and you have a hammer and you knock it down. That's what we do with our hearts. Ah, sin from the past. Bam. Oh, the time my dad didn't do that thing. Bam. Oh, my addiction. Bam. Oh, those judgments and unforgiveness and the ways I have suspect against other people, really because I'm unsettled in myself, but I'm going to accuse other people. Bam! I don't have to look at it. And we never look at ourselves. And if we do, it's only to beat ourselves down. Jesus draws near to us very differently. It's a beautiful day today, so when I got down here, I was walking around the church praying. And my prayer was basically, Lord, tell me what to say tonight because I had a tentative outline. so, And this came to me. It was the scripture passage of Lazarus. As you know, Lazarus is dead. They wrap him up, put him in the tomb, and put a stone in front of him. In essence, everyone said, that's done. He's dead. Ain't no more to talk about. Ain't no more to look into. He's dead. Boom. Away. And where does Jesus go? To the very place you and I called over. That was in the past. What's the point? It's over. Move on. He's dead. And Jesus, with immense kindness, says, roll away the stone. Do you remember what they said in response? Sir, there's surely going to be a stench. By the way, he doesn't say there won't be a stench. There will be parts of us, i so disgusted, I don't want to look at that. I don't want to know that I did that. I just cannot deal with that. It's gross to me, Lord. Keep going. Keep going. Why? Because behind the stone, behind the foulness, is the miracle. The miracle is in you that Jesus is awakening. The signs of his power and transformation are in the exact places in your story and in your heart and in mind that we said that's done. There's nothing that can happen. Oh well, that's life. And he calls him forth and he says untie him. He invites so many people to participate in this healing miracle of Lazarus. And this is the way of Jesus. Kindness. All right before we go any further about kindness, these are the two attributes I want to give us tonight when we begin the healing journey. So this means when you're sitting alone in prayer and you want to start experiencing healing and you're going to sit and pray or you're going to come to church or things like this, there's two attributes of God that I want to focus on more than any others. Kindness and curiosity they are like the secret weapons of the Holy Spirit to help you experience hope and healing kindness is the very first one and by the way as a culture we stink at this we're really really bad and I mean the church culture not the evil culture we live in. I mean here not Sacred Heart like any church do not I'm not judging <laughs> get this guy out of here I Joe, why'd you invite me? Why are we bad at this? Oh, because we have our lofty ideas of what holiness is. And when people don't measure up, we love to be like, see that person? No, no. Did you see how Shirley treated us at that donut Sunday? (laughs) Why doesn't the priest just tell them what they're doing wrong and then people will be better? You know, we need the good old days if we just talk about hell more because that worked so well. (laughs) Everyone became a saint and was in love with Jesus by that way. Now, mind you, kindness is not, you're fine, I'm fine, everything's good, just if you want to do a little something, that'd be great. That's not kind, because that ignores the power of God and how good we are. But it's also not kind to, like, jump on the bandwagon and try to make things extra hard for people. Oh, good, now we're holy, because look how hard it is. And Jesus goes, ooh, it was so hard for you. Good job. (laughs) So these scripture passages have transformed my life in the way I pray and relate to Jesus. Here's the first one. St. Paul's letter to the Romans. Did you not know that the kindness of God is meant to lead you to repentance? Did you not know that it's the kindness of God that leads you to repentance and what we all say is oh no I did not know that <laughs> I thought it was the fear of hell I thought it was all powerfulness I thought it was the threats of all these things I thought it was the way that I got my spouse to be quiet so I went to church on Sundays all these things I did not know it was his kindness that would lead me to transformation and repentance here's another one the kindness and generous love of God has appeared this is his letter to Titus that we read on Christmas morning talking about the birth of Jesus who is Jesus he's the very kindness and generous love of God and what we do is we move away from him quickly create a checklist of what we think makes someone lovable and good and then we measure everyone up A plus B minus F and Jesus says, I came to embody kindness and generous love. Now think about your hearts for a second. The fear of your hearts. The vulnerability we're asking. It takes great courage. But above all, it needs to be met with kindness. You cannot share the deepest parts of your heart with someone who's going to criticize you condemn you be impatient be distracted it will hurt the only kind of person you can share your heart with is someone who is kind gracious present attentive and in doing so this next quote pops up parts of our hearts remain hidden until they are met with kindness There are places in you that you have not yet discovered about yourself because you and I go in there with the whack-a-mole hammer. And your heart's like, well, I'm not talking. (laughs) There's parts of your heart that you have not yet discovered which are life-changing parts because your heart is very suspect. Well, you're usually impatient, you're oddly critical and judgmental, if I speak to you and show you this incredibly vulnerable part, aren't you just going to condemn it? I want to tell you about the healing power of kindness. It was December this past year, and this gentleman gave me permission to tell his story. He was a drug dealer and a part of one of the major gangs in the Cleveland area. He was kind of high up on the Cleveland wanted list, if you will. They finally arrested him and then they got out and they arrested him and back and forth with his life. And I went to see him after he was finally out for a while in rehab and doing pretty well. So I went to see him and I was like, hi. Because <laughs> I'd known him for a while. He's like, hey, what's going on? <laughs> and I'm like, you tell me. <laughs> and I said, how did you get here? I know how you got into the drugs and the gangs, but how do you get here Wanting to stay sober, wanting to change, wanting to grow, wanting to live differently. And he said one of his drug deals went sideways and he got the crap beat out of him. Got punched and I I, I think many other things. I don't know the whole story, but ribs were broken. He was bleeding. And he came home to his girlfriend. And he was high on drugs. He just got beat up and his girlfriend said something and he choked her up against the wall. And he was actively killing her. And he said, and a piece of, a drop of blood was going down his forehead. And as he's actively killing her, she reached out and wiped the blood away. He said he dropped her to the ground and fell down and cried for hours. The kindness to draw the blood away while he's actively at his grossest pierced him so deeply because it whispered to him, there's more to you than your brokenness. Tell Jesus I'll call him later. (laughs) There's more to you than the mistakes you're making and have made. Or as Pope St. John Paul II said, you are not the sum of your weaknesses and failures. You are the sum of the Father's love for you and your capacity to imitate Jesus. Kindness makes our hearts disarmed and open. What flooded forth from him was true contrition, was that little heart that we talked about last night, longing for love, knowing it needs help to change, hoping for something new, hoping that the love and kindness shown to him actually was true. When I met him, he's been sober for three months for the first time in years. And his story is amazing. Kindness isn't weak. It's not pathetic. It's not for the losers or whatever word you want to call those kids in your life. It's divine, and it changes gangbangers' lives. It can change ours. All right, the next... Characteristic we need on this healing journey, buddied up with kindness, is curiosity. Curiosity. Curiosity is, there's a difference between curiosity and questioning. Questioning is like an attorney or a cop. Where were you? What were you doing last night? It's like a high schooler comes in after curfew. Your mom or dad is questioning you. They're not actually curious because they want to know the answers to tell you why you were wrong, give you a lesson, and punish you. With the very slim chance that there might be a good reason why you were out late. Curiosity is what parents ask kids when their kid comes home in tears and goes right to their bedroom and they have no idea why. Notice how the questions... On paper, are the same, but sound very different. What happened? Where were you? Are you okay? What do you need? Curiosity is someone saying, Would you let me in to your experience so that I can be with you? It is not, let me assess you and fix you. God asks a lot of questions in Scripture, and you can tell if you know the Holy Spirit or not based on the tone you insert. The tone is always curious, it's not condemning. Here's a few examples. First one from Genesis Adam and Eve just sinned, they're hiding behind bushes, and God says, Where are you? God's God. It's not like He's like, I just left him behind the tree a minute ago. Where'd that guy go? He's inviting Adam to share with him, like, where are you? Because God's like, would you let me in to what's going on? And one of my favorite lines of all scripture, Adam says, I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid myself. I was afraid because I knew I'd be seen and thought I was bad or awful, so I hid myself. That one step allowed God to be with him in his shame and pain and hear the first promises of God after the fall. Curiosity. Here's another question. This is said to a Haggai in the scriptures Where did you come from? Where are you going? Tell me your story. Go to any college campus, at a coffee house. Some weirdo is going to be wearing a scarf in the summertime for no reason. And uh, he's going to ask you, after he puts down his book on Nietzsche or some weird poetry, he's going to say, hey, what's your story? Tell me your story. This guy actually is really curious. He wants to know, where'd you come from? Where are you going? What makes you you? God's saying, like the story you live out of and tell yourself, God's saying, would you let me in? Tell me about it. What were the formative chapters? What do you tell everyone? Is it really true? What's it like? Where do you hope to be? How are you hoping for this chapter to end? This story to end? God wants to be let in. Here's another one. What more could I have done for my vineyard? When I looked for good grapes, why did it yield only bad? Tone is really important here. What more could I have done for you? I look for all the good stuff and I only got bad stuff. It's not God. That's broken people in our life sounding like God. How does God speak to you? What more could I have done for you? Did you need something else? Could I have done something more? What did you think you were lacking? Let me know. I was looking for good grapes and I found bad ones. What happened? What's going on? Would you step into relationship with me? These are all going to start to come together in a second. You're going to see why this is so important. Father Pack, can I get the next slide up there? This is a man I've been blessed to know for mm, off and on for let's say 15 years. I met him again recently after a long hiatus, but he was a family therapist for years out of Tallahassee, Florida. His name is Dr. Bob Schutz, And Dr. Bob Schutz has been given gifts by the Holy Spirit for healing. Healing the human heart. And he's written many books. And his center is called the JP2 Center for Healing. Please, if you want to spend time on the internet, go there. He's on YouTube. He has five books, I believe, at this point. All of them are excellent. His introductory book is called Be Healed. It's meditations to help you navigate your healing a wonderful, wonderful man, a guy very close to the Lord, someone who just wants people to come fully alive. He's great. He discovered or came up with a way of looking at ourselves with kindness and curiosity that bears great fruit. It bears great fruit. And these are the tools I want to teach you tonight. Here's his order. We have some disordered desire. Let's say it's drinking too much. All right? And we go to confession over and over again. Father, I drank too much. I have a drinking problem. I drink too much. I got lonely. I drank. I won the baseball game. We drank. We lost the baseball game. We drank. There wasn't a game, so I drank. <laughs> Whatever it may be. okay. But the disordered desire is excess drinking. Now here's the thing. This is where you and I stop. You and I go to confession, say our sins, and then move on. We don't think about our sin enough. Father, didn't you tell me just not to beat myself down? We don't ask questions. Why this sin? What was I really looking for? What did this do for me? How did I feel beforehand? How did I feel, maybe in drinking case, the next morning? We don't actually reflect on our sinfulness. We just call it bad, kick it into the confessional and try to move on, and then it keeps happening and happening. Because I think, let me speak for myself, because for many years I was afraid that what I'd find is evidence that would say I'm bad and irredeemable. Oh, I looked into it and it turns out I can't be healed I'm not capable of change. I'm bad. And that fear keeps us from looking at it. But what Dr. Bob discovered that was behind every disordered desire is this next one. A holy desire and an unmet need. See how curious and kind his approach is? That when you hear of a sin or a painful area or an area that's bothering you, Behind it is a holy desire or an unmet need. Maybe this individual who's drinking a lot turns out that they feel very lonely in their marriage and ever since the kids left, they don't know what to do with their lives. Their life is meaningless at this point and their spouse, they don't feel like they're connecting. So what is the holy desire meaning? They really want meaning in their life. And they want intimacy. Now, they're taking that to a bottle, and it's never going to happen. But at least the bottle is an indicator to check inside. What am I really looking for? What if someone's disordered desire is anger? They get so angry, and they just feel angry all the time, and they just want to yell and scream all the time. Okay, No one's going to say that's great. Way to go. Okay, yes, bring it to the confessional. But how about we invite the Lord in? Lord, would you show me what's behind my anger? What is the holy desire? Maybe the holy desire is, I feel like my whole life people have been taking advantage of me. And so I'm just angry and I want to just fight them. You have a desire for justice. The way you may be trying to find fulfillment is disordered. But the holy desire to honor is you desire justice. That's a beautiful thing. Or maybe the unmet need is I just feel like no one understands my perspective, my side of it. Wow! You want to be understood. You should be understood. You're a person. Notice how when we give a little kindness, And curiosity to these broken manifestations beautiful things are underneath here's the third category of Dr. Bob an unhealed wound what we may discover in the drinking example is wounds of abandonment I feel like everyone's leaving me not just the kids off to college but that triggers a deeper wound That my dad, let's say the example is my dad moved away and got a divorce when I was five and I never dealt with the wound of being abandoned. And so this deep pain in me has just been growing and growing. And since, not because I'm bad, but maybe I was never taught how to listen with compassion and kindness and pray with it, this wound just grew and grew. And I tried to make that wound get met by my kids. And so it worked for 18 years but now they left and I got re-triggered. Or maybe in the anger example, right? Maybe they discover as they pray, they realize their unmet wound is rejection. This is like a very vivid memory for me in fourth grade. Her name was Mora (laughs) Lins. We're moving on to a different one this time, okay? New Orleans, I'll never forget this. It was kickball at recess in fourth grade. I was picked last. And I'll let you know I was not bad at kickball, okay? There was no good reason objectively why I should have been picked last, right? I was fast. I had a strong leg, but I was picked last on that day. And I remember throwing a temper tantrum on the playground. Well, then I'm not playing. If I'm picked last, I'm not playing, It was the only way as a fourth grader I knew how to deal with the pain that I was that kid. Pick last. I can't tell you how often when I get a little pinch, when I feel overlooked or like someone else is chosen for something and I sit in my prayer time, I say, Lord, what was that little pinch? That I go back to that memory, I can tell you where I was and Maura Linz ran to me and said, I really want you to be on my team. I picked the other people first because I was worried they wouldn't have gotten picked. How healing, remembering Mora coming to me and ministering to my wound of rejection. Mora was Jesus for me. Right? All of this is wrapped up in the person who's always angry all the time. You have one story, one heart, one person. There's only one of you. All the hits are in there. And guess what? Between now and getting into the beatific vision, all of these things need healed. Oh my gosh, Father, are you serious? Yes, because there are no wounds in heaven. So if you still have the wounds, you can't get into heaven. Thanks be to God for purgatory. Right. Because a lot of this can get worked out. But we don't have to wait. There's mercy. There's grace. There's the sacraments. There's friends. There's family. People who know the Lord. There's scripture. There's saints. There's beauty and art that speaks to your heart that helps you do this journey. Behind the unhealed wound is a hidden pattern of sin. Oftentimes deep inside what we discover are judgments. I can yell at these people because I don't think of them as highly as these people. If you really want to get humble, look at the groups in your mind that still exist. Do you still believe that there's cool kids? You know, God never made cool kids and uncool kids. You know that, right? Artificial structures of high school. And we still operate out of there's cool kids and uncool kids. right? There's groups that we think, it doesn't really matter how I treat them, but I better treat these people really, really good. Look at our judgments. How about self-reliance is a hidden pattern. I can fix myself. I just try really hard. Here's good news. Jesus did not die on the cross so we could try really hard. He died on the cross to say, I will love you that much and never stop loving you, even if it costs me everything. So that's Dr. Bob Schutz's way, and I'm going to kind of shift him to the side for a second. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to kind of walk us through our own version of it in just a second. And I'm doing a little bit of a different version mainly because for the sake of tonight, as a large group, this may be more beneficial for us because if I try to do that exact steps, it's a little difficult. That takes way more time with our hearts because your hearts deserve it. But I do want to use this example before I go any further. The example of pornography. Why am I using this one? Because sometimes if you use a little bit more of an intense example, it can illuminate some of the subtleties if you're not someone who struggles with it. And if you're someone who's are, maybe this can encourage you on your healing journey. Okay? So, let's say you have an individual who looks at pornography. That's the disordered desire. Right? Pornography. The holy desire or unmet need behind that could be all sorts of things. Maybe it's a desire for intimacy. Maybe it's a need for affirmation to know that you're good. Maybe it's a feeling of, I want to feel capable. Whatever that next level is, that helps you recognize, oh, I have this hunger and I'm eating out of a dumpster. I don't yell at homeless people for being hungry I get them food. Okay, I ate out of a dumpster, but what was my hunger all about? What was I looking for? Behind that, you may have all sorts of wounds, rejected, abandonment, maybe it's a wound of shame, I feel poorly about myself, all these things, and then underneath that, you have the judgment. These kind of, it's okay, I'm not hurting anyone. Or the wound, the uh, hidden hidden sin of self-hatred, I'm bad and awful, it doesn't matter what I do with my life. When Jesus looks at us, he sees all of these layers. That's why he can have compassion on sinners. Because he doesn't see, you do what? He sees a heart that is so good, but hurting, and needs so much kindness, and so much love. And he pours it out. So I'm going to guide us through a little meditation for our own sake. And uh, these meditations, you need to know a few things, right? If it's not clicking for you, okay, then just enjoy the time with Jesus. The goal is Jesus, not Father Ryan. If you feel like you want to stay in one part of this meditation longer than the other, stay there. There's no rush. You'll be just fine. This is recorded and put on slaking thirst. You can go back to that podcast, or it's on YouTube. You could watch it again. So go there. Or the other option, too, is if Jesus does something totally different with your time, go with Jesus. All right, don't be like, oh, I shouldn't follow that. I need to focus on what Father Ryan's doing. No, you chose the wrong guy out of the two. Okay? So that's, that's going to be our goal tonight. So I'm going to say a little prayer, and then I'm going to put up some slides with Father Pat and walk you through these things, Okay? In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, come upon us. We do not want to go in without you. You are the warmth and compassion of the Father and the Son. You are the source of encouragement. You are the grace that helps us accomplish these things. We do not need to do it on our own. Holy Spirit, draw us, and in this time of silence, help each one of us to know the sin or the place in us that you want us to be attentive to tonight, and so you don't need to grab, you don't need to figure it out, just see if there's a sin in your life or a relationship or a memory the Lord just wants to speak to tonight. So, this first step is particulars matter. Let's say it's a sin of lying. Okay, that's pretty general. Who did you lie to? What did you lie about? Why that lie and not another one? If it's drinking, why that day? What happened on that day? What did you drink? How much did you drink? If it's a memory that you felt like the Lord wanted to talk to you to, who are the people there? How old are you in that memory? What are those relationships like? Were they always difficult? Were they full of hope and joy? And what is it about this particular memory that's still haunting you? Come, Holy Spirit, fill us. Guide us. Not us, but you. Take our hands. You are the Father of the little ones. We are so little. We don't know how to do this but we need it. So take our hand and walk us, Holy Spirit. In the same area, here's the next thing to ask. What am I seeking? Hoping for? Looking for? If it's the sin of lying, what was I hoping this would accomplish? Protection from re- rejection? Did it make was I hoping it make me look impressive? So, people would be impressed with me? Because I'm afraid I'm not impressive? If it's a memory in a particular circumstance and time in your life, what was the little you looking for? What did you want or need out of that situation? What were you seeking at that time? Can you notice the seeking was something good? Okay, you might have gone to the wrong place or might not have come to fruition, but can you notice in your heart that you were looking for something good? Can you savor that for a moment, that your heart is good, not perfect, makes mistakes, but seeking such good things? this place of sin or this memory, how do you right now view that place in your heart? Do you feel anxious, the very fact that we're talking about it? Do you reject it and really dislike it, wish it was gone? Are you beginning to feel warmth and compassion about that part? Hey, I was little, I didn't know. I was hoping for something really good. I was seeking attention and love. Are you embarrassed by that part of your heart? Do you have kindness and curiosity for that part of your heart? Or are you impatient? Just want to label it. This is okay, let's just move on. If you are impatient, it's okay. You're probably impatient because there's some nervousness there. You're allowed to be nervous. Can you find yourself joining with Jesus and offering kindness? To your own story. A generous love towards these memories and places. Realizing your heart was seeking something good. It might have gotten hijacked and gone towards the wrong direction. Or this memory that's been haunting you. It may have some shame after all these years. But Jesus never brings the shame. Only kindness. And a generous desire to understand you. this place in you how often do you bring it to your daily prayer how often do you bring it to mass as we sing with the holy assembly are built up in our father's scriptures and nourished with the bread of love himself this deep place in us that's crying out like a child Am I good? Will I be forgiven? Or do we ignore, neglect, and resent having a heart, having deep places in us that Jesus loves? Jesus loves you right there. He loves your anger. He does because He knows behind it is a heart that's suffering from a wound and He loves you too much to just let you be. He loves your sexuality. He loves your whole story, not because it was always glorious, but because He too had sorrowful mysteries and He wants to be with you How was this need and desire treated in my home growing up? Was it even talked about? Was it even allowed? Were you welcomed in your childhood humanity because you were a kid? Or was it always shamed, labeled, resisted, mocked, ignored? In what ways do I ignore or account for this need currently in my life? Maybe you have this desire to be seen and understood. How often on a daily basis do you honor that and give Jesus time to show you He's interested? Or even with good friends, do you take time to tell the whole story? Or with family? If you have a desire for intimacy, how often throughout your daily life do you allow time for that need to be met? because only starving people eat out of dumpsters and now right in this place in your heart I'm going to ask you to imagine Jesus give him permission to look upon you as you are You don't need words. It's just a simple opening and turning to him in your heart. Allow him to be with you. And notice how he seems. The kind, generous love of the infinite God is with you. Maybe there's a new image, a memory. Maybe there's just a releasing of tension in your body. Maybe there's just feels the sense of peace. Or if for you not a lot's happening, go ahead and tell Jesus about the not a lot happening. Amen. By a show of hands, how many of you allow your heart that kind of curiosity and kindness on a daily basis? My hand's not up either, and I just taught you about it. so. Imagine if the church, and by that I mean like all of us, every day carved out the ten minutes that I just did with you, to allow our hearts a place to speak, to grow curious and kind with the Holy Spirit, and then ultimately to allow Jesus to be with us there and speak to us. Let me tell you what clichés would start falling away from our culture. Father wounds. They'd still hurt, but they wouldn't have the power they once did because we have access to a father now, right where it hurt. Addictions would start fading. Why? Because they're just symptoms. Addictions are symptoms of hearts that are in pain and lonely. Divorce rate would go down, why? Because people would know what is their junk and what is their spouse's and quit pointing at the other person for one. And two, we would learn how important tenderness is and kindness because we would need it desperately and we wouldn't want to be mean or harsh or impatient with the one we have vowed ourselves to. Femininity and masculinity would become more robust in gifts because men would not fall into caricatures as if you've got to like hunt and drink dark beer to be a man. You'd be allowed to have desires like poems. You can drink white wine if you'd like. You're even allowed to dance without hearing your older brother or your friends or your dad calling you names. Because deep from within you'd being authentic as God created you. Women, you wouldn't, you could be if you'd like, but you wouldn't have to be princesses. You could also be warriors. You could like my grand, my maternal grandmother at 75 years old, we called her old Ironside. At 75 years old, she enrolled in auto mechanic school because she thought her auto mechanic was, well, we're in church and Jesus and the blessed sacrament here, was taking advantage of her money. She wasn't dainty. But she was fully a woman, especially to me. She made pies, was a great cook, tucked me in at night, gave me baths as a little boy. You wouldn't have these rigid stereotypes because we'd be living in the freedom of God because we'd allow our hearts the place of encounter. We'd allow our hearts a space to speak and receive. There's nothing that you do or that has ever been done to you that Jesus isn't immensely interested in and capable of healing. And so often it's the fear the fear and the belief that we aren't kapox dei and it's the fear that I don't know what to do it's going to go wrong it's going to hurt too bad and what if I'm really needy what if I'm weak what if I feel so feeble what if I need so much help in this journey and I can't get it and I'm alone I have a video for us tonight and I'd like to invite you to the way you're able to to have your heart be the older man You're gonna see, and imagine Jesus being his son for you. I'm just gonna ask that the Holy Spirit keep your hearts right where you're at, as this video, which is art, can speak to you. Good
1: morning, sir. Ready to get up? Let me get your feet up. How are you doing today? Good morning. <laughs> I remember uh, always looking at my dad's arms like when I was like 8, nine, ten years old. He had arms like Popeye. He was a towboat captain. And I so admired his physique. And now it's, it's a different story, you know? And that's just the way it is. So my dad had a stroke and now he can't get around, he can't walk. And he needs me to help him out. And my son Luke and I have been doing it. And uh, I am do anything. Anything for him. I can give you a really good mohawk. Yeah, <laughs> you look like a punk rocker. There's a definite role reversal that happens. I have to wake him up in the morning and... Uh, Take care of him and groom him and shave him and shower him. It's it's actually an honor to do that for your father because he did it for me when I was a kid. My dad's got the greatest face. His squishy face is just amazing. He's sort of thin skin that I don't want to cut it at all. So I got to be careful with that with that face. Like he'll just say, do this, do that. You got to make sure that you shave my neck down. You got to do my my lips up you know, He was really particular about his sideburns that's where your sideburns start good. i'm not going to touch your sideburns okay good okay? okay how am i doing so far dad okay you know it takes me like a half an hour to shave my father because i have to be so careful definitely without reason okay well i will i will oh there we go okay good I love that face <laughs> I'm, uh, I'm one of the lucky ones A lot of, my, a lot of my, my friends my age Do not have their dads And I still have my dad He always says to me he, he looks up at me After I pour love on him For the whole day And he says I don't know what I did to deserve you And I say dad I got you I got you dad
0: In addition to the gum, I bought Gillette razors. <laughs> there's a line in there that stuck out to me. He says, there's a definite role reversal. And okay, we all know it on the natural level. Parents take care of kids. Kids take care of parents. But there's also a role reversal if we're going to be called Christians. First and foremost, Jesus serves you. You don't serve him. He's fine. You, me, we're not. We have a lot of needs. And we're the ones who ignore them. And, as you all admitted tonight, we're also the ones who claim to know mercy himself and we don't share it really well with each other. I'm up on a, almost called it a stage. My acting day's coming out still. Sanctuary, wearing a fancy collar here. But I I, I know it. And yet every one of us is Him. Weak, just exposed, hoping someone would be careful with us so that we could shine with that like Rottweiler dog jowls going on. There's a cry in my heart and in everyone else's and it's simply this. Will you love me? Oh, not when I'm up here talking. But like when I'm just broken. Broken. When my funk is exposed, will you leave me? There's a role reversal. Jesus wants to hear that in prayer. Jesus wants to receive that at Mass. Jesus wants to speak into that when you read Scripture. Jesus wants you to offer a rosary from that place. He says, I'm among you as one who serves. And then we say, what can I do for you so I can feel good about myself? He says, sit, open wide. Be vulnerable with me. It's okay to be 90 years old and still be upset that your mom and dad didn't love you perfectly. Because if you're still feeling it, it's your ankle hurting. You need the physician. And guess how glorious it will be in the day when you meet Jesus face to face and you can say, I know you because you healed me. I know what you were like. I met you in my poverty and you were good. I know all sorts of people have different views of Pope Francis. That's okay. Okay, You're allowed to have views. But when he speaks on mercy, and I have read a ton of John Paul II and Pope Benedict, Vatican II, and a lot of saints, when Pope Francis speaks on mercy, he might be the best in our tradition. Other things we can talk about another time. I say that because I want your heart wide open as the Pope speaks right now in this quote. Tenderness, mercy, is the best way to touch the frailty within us. Look at how nurses touch the wounds of the sick with tenderness so as not to hurt them further. This is how our Lord touches our wounds, with the same tenderness. God always forgives. Keep this clearly in your head and your heart. God always forgives. We are the ones who tire of asking for forgiveness, but He always forgives even the worst things. Roll away the stone. Lazarus, come out. You are not defined by your wounds and weaknesses, but you do have them, and so do I. And what we need is someone who can enter in, take them on himself and transform them, and give us new life. Take what is stale and make it new and he gives us new wine.